and welcome to the Pack Heavy podcast. Now this podcast is for anyone who works in the hospitality and food manufacturing industries who use flexible packaging to get their products to market. Featuring interviews with guests who have traveled the path that you're on so that you can learn from their successes and failures and engage in the mindset required to go all in on your vision. I call this mindset the Pack Heavy mentality and it's primarily driven by deliberate action and extreme organization. You gather market intelligence, put a strong plan in place, organize the appropriate resources, and then confidently test your hypothesis against reality. So if you're ready to pack heavy on your vision, you're in the right place, and I'm excited to have you here. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to episode 37, where today I'm joined by Justin Kapetsky, who is the co-founder and CEO of Justo's Craft Dips. Uh, before we do get started with the show, though, I did want to briefly touch on Foodpack, which is the company that I proudly work for in Vancouver, BC. Now, at Foodpack, there are some things that we definitely specialize in and do extremely well, uh, one of which is flexible packaging, and the other is the packaging equipment to support that flexible packaging. So if you've got a small to medium-sized business or even a large-sized business and you're looking to package up your food product in a flexible pouch or a lay-flat pouch, you need to get in touch with me and have a chat. Um, there's so much that I can do for you, whether it is offering our warehousing program to you to free up some working capital so that you can keep on pushing your business in other areas, uh, or whether it is actually moving into a flexible pouch and into a stand-up pouch for the first time that's you know fully customized and printed. Um, Flexible packaging is such a great opportunity to get your product out onto the retail shelf and we've said it quite a few times but you know the first interaction with that a lot of your consumers will have with your brand is on the retail shelf so it's something that you want to get right. So I like to spend a good 45 minutes having a chat with my clients about what it is exactly that they're looking for, the type of pouch that they're looking to get their product in, how they want the consumer to interact with it and uh, and you know ensuring that all of the basic fundamentals of functionality are built into the pouch package as well. When it comes to packaging equipment, there's a lot to the conversation as well. And, um, you know, we're fortunate at Food Packing that we've got a showroom floor packed full of equipment that we can offer to you. You're more than welcome to come on into the showroom with your food-based products and, uh, and actually try some of the equipment that we've got on the showroom floor. It's a really great way to, you know, think the production side of your business through and uh, ensure that the piece of equipment that you're about to invest in is actually functional within your business and it's going to actually achieve the output numbers that you're looking to um, to get out into the world. So if you'd like to learn a little bit more about how I can help you over here, so whether we're talking about a thermoformer or a tray sealer or a vacuum chamber machine or a band sealer, you need to get in touch with me and have a chat. Uh, please reach out at Hayden at thepackofyourpodcast.com. You could DM me on LinkedIn or you can also get in touch with me by giving me a call on my work cell, which is 604-360-6790. Okay. Located in Victoria, BC and established in 2019, Justos is not only a hot off the press business with a focus on creating delicious plant-based dips, but also a business that's on a mission to leave a positive impact on their local community by sourcing locally as often as possible and by feeding the underserved through their Hummus Helps initiative. The team at Justos have also created and implemented a jar return program, which is helping to reduce their environmental impact. And in their first year alone, over 7,000 jars were returned and reused. With over 70 retailers located on Vancouver Island, the Justos team of four, so Justin, Eric, Tyler, and Adam, are clearly building a company with a big and clear vision, and it's definitely one that I enjoyed shining the light on today. So sit back, enjoy the ride, and I hope that you find it as highly inspirational as I did. Justin, how you doing? Thanks for coming on to the show. 
No problem, Hayden. Uh, happy to be here, and uh, it's a pleasure. Yeah, mate. Thanks for the opportunity. I was really excited. I, um, as you're aware, I had Sarah from More Granola on my podcast, and she reached out and said there are a few people that I needed to speak to, and you were one of them. So thanks, Sarah, for the intro. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Sarah. Appreciate the uh, the introduction. And yeah, no, she's uh, she's a great great human, and uh, we've been learning lots in our district ventures program together the past little uh, the past four months or so. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering what the actual um, connection was. So what's the district ventures project? Yeah. So it's a, it's an incubator that's set up uh, through Arlene Dickinson's, Mm. um, I guess she has like a capital fund and I think they actually just rebranded recently to be venture venture park. Um, But it used to be at the district ventures accelerator and it's essentially just a consumer packaged goods uh, accelerator program that brings together all these different businesses. Um, it used to just be located in Calgary, um, mm. but now because of COVID, it's all online. So we have everybody from, you know, Victoria out in the West Coast to Sarah over in Ontario and everybody in between. There's lots, I think there's there's 10, 10 businesses in this cohort, cohort mm. number 11. And yeah, it's just been awesome mentorship and, and amazing connections and just really good learnings as well in this kind of this niche of, of business, I suppose. Yeah, honestly. And, you know, um, the size, a group of 10 is probably like the perfect size for a little online class as well. How many um, mentors have you actually got working the program with you? Yeah, so there's um, there's three main mentors. Uh, Callion is the the program lead. There's um, He's had a, a massive background in working with big CPG companies um, all over the world. And he's kind of brought his expertise into help the smaller guys and help Canadian businesses grow, which is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Serene, she works with uh, Tree of Life, which is a massive national distributor here. Yeah. Uh, and she provides a ton of insights just on how the inner workings of branding and building just a, a successful company and working with distributors. Uh, and then there is also our current mentor. His name's Rob Horrocks. He uh, owns Blush Lane Farms, uh, farm country markets, and he also has a farm in Karameas in BC, which is great. And mm. yeah, all with the three of them, as well as, yeah, there's a plethora of people within their network that come in guest speakers and people from, yeah, all over the place. And it's, it's, it's quite a good opportunity to learn. Definitely, definitely worth it. Yeah, how good's that? Like there are so many different organizations that sort of offer those programs and I've had quite a few of them on the podcast, which is cool, but I hadn't come across this one. So where did you come across them? Was it online or were they referred to you? Yeah, well, actually, I've just been a big fan of watching Dragon's Den yeah. for pretty much my entire life. That's kind of one of the main reasons <laughs> when I kind of got into starting a business. And yeah. Arlene has always just been, you know, a big presence on that show. And yeah, she's kind of mentioned it a few times on her show or on, on that show. Sorry. And yeah, just kind of a little bit of online research about her and her programs and stuff. And yeah, we sent a little video. I think it was at the end of 2019, maybe the beginning Oh, I can't know. Maybe it was the end of 2020, but it was myself and Eric and Adam because we were the the three business partners at that time, um, and we had just sent this funny little uh, video to to them explaining who our business is. And we we were so small and young at that point, and I'm kind of surprised they took us on. Um, but Callian just said that he really loved the vision that we had and kind of the values that we hold. Um, so it was a shot in the dark, and it took about six months for them to get back to us, but they finally did. And it was, yeah, it's opened up a lot of doors. So been pretty amazing. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, you know what, I can't wait to actually get stuck into sort of that component of the conversation um, later on down the track, because like one of the first things that I definitely want to talk to you about is, you know, where the seed of the idea came from and, you know, working in an accelerator program, as you just suggested, and as the name suggests as well, you know, it really accelerates things. And especially if you haven't had any exposure to the industry before, it really is a good opportunity to sort of get connected with the right people at the right times, but also build a network and a, um, a community around you as well, which is really valuable. 
yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> cool, mate. So where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Yeah, I grew up, uh, I currently live in Victoria, obviously, mm. and uh, but I grew up over on Salt Spring Island. Um, was a born and raised Islander over there. Um, yeah, it was a pretty pretty awesome spot to to grow up. And yeah, definitely. I'm actually heading back there after this interview, going to go visit my dad and have a bit of a uh, bit of downtime over there after a couple of busy, busy weeks here. Um, but no, it's it was a great spot to grow up. And obviously, Victoria is pretty close to there. So it's been good to kind of be able to go back and forth and all that, that good stuff. Yeah, you and I suggested what well, we spoke on the phone yesterday when we were introducing each other. And like I said, I um, used to work for Salt Spring Coffee. And so I've spent plenty of time on the island and it really is a special place, mate. So I can only imagine how much fun you had growing up there as well. Yeah, we got up. There's not a whole lot to do there. So we got up to some trouble, but uh, yeah, no, it was always good, wholesome fun for sure. <laughs> yeah, man, there's a huge, um, well, from what I understand, there's a bit of a downhill skateboard sort of longboard scene over there. Were you into that? No, I never was, but I had a few buddies who were into it. And it's, uh, yeah, there's some pretty amazing hills and yeah. some mountains that kind of people, it's just nice winding curves. And yeah. they have some, if I remember correctly, they have some pretty awesome competitions there every year. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that. Um, so you grew up on Salt Spring Island. What took you across to Victoria? Yeah, well, I uh, I did a few years of traveling in between kind of uh, graduating high school on Salt Spring. I uh, just worked worked a lot um, and ended up kind of living over in uh, in Asia and then in Australia for a year. Um, met some pretty awesome people and was just, you know, living the broke backpacker life, <laughs> uh, eating as much ramen noodles as possible so I could yeah. stay there more days and came back to Salt Spring um, worked for about half a year with my dad, just doing construction and uh, renovating a house that he had just uh, purchased, which was a really, really cool experience. And uh, yeah, then went off to to Europe for another half a year and yeah, just met uh, met up with a bunch of the friends that I'd met in Australia. Um, and then essentially coming home from that trip, I was figured, okay, what do I want to do? What is what is life? What should I? What's the path I should go down? I suppose. And yeah. uh, I'd always been really into athletics and. I don't know, just uh, had had some injuries and had gone through some rehabilitation from soccer and some other sports. Um, so I thought, okay, well, I kind of like exercise and, and and you know, that that realm of helping people get better. So I enrolled in the Camosin's exercise and wellness program, um, did that for two years, got my diploma out of it. And then after that decided, hey, don't think this is exactly what I want to do. I uh, just wasn't necessarily like the being in the gym isn't my my lifestyle, I suppose. And there was yep. more focus towards that. So it was a really great program, met a lot of amazing people and had a lot of really good experiences. And it all brought me to where I am today. So very grateful for it. Hmm. Um, but yeah, then worked worked a couple of construction jobs, worked as a, a electrician apprentice type dealio, but more not necessarily in electrical, more in fiber optics and telecommunication, right. which was very interesting. Did that for about a year, moved up quite quickly in the company, um, but then just realized I wasn't, uh, that wasn't also wasn't for me. Um, went through definitely a transitional phase of, yeah, a year there of, you know, having a couple different jobs, ending, you know, going out of school, uh, ending relationship with my previous partner, and it was just a very transformative time. So mm. I know I'd, uh, yeah, kind of started making different, I've always loved uh, cooking and making sauces and, and dips and other things, a big uh, big inspiration from my dad, actually. He's, uh, he's played a massive part in that. Um, but I kind of always just, yeah, brought different things to, to different parties, and I started just experimenting more and more, and it kind of became a bit of a passion project, um, and I was, yeah, bringing all these dips around to places and, and parties before COVID. And people really, really love them. They were like, wow, like you should sell these. Um, 
you know, they had hummus, hummus haters turned into hummus lovers. I was making some weird things, some dessert hummus and some just bizarre flavors. And yeah, it was, it was a really cool experience just to have that kind of initial grassroots of like, well, people like this. And then that kind of transformed into um, starting a bit of an Instagram page and just saying, hey, I'm going to be doing this. You know, I want to have my packaging as, as sustainable as possible. I want to give back to the community. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I'm just going to start. And I'm, I'm making these products. If anyone wants to buy them, I'm going to deliver on every Wednesday. Um, so after maybe a couple months of that, it kind of gained more and more traction. I thought, you know what? I'm just going to go for it. I rented out a commercial kitchen, mm-hmm. um, got a acceptance into a couple different uh, local farmers markets, the Esquimalt market where Katrina, who was the uh, manager at the time, really helped me out a lot and gave me lots of good guidance and wisdom and tips and other things. Um, but I, I reflect on that time as being quite funny because I was just this kid with a, a ninja a ninja food processor and a pressure cooker in this like big commercial kitchen. And all these other business owners were like, <laughs> what is he doing here spending a thousand dollars a month making some hummus to go sell at a market? I was like, ah, you don't you don't see the vision. Yeah. <laughs> There's no vision yet, but it was uh, yeah it was it was a pretty cool transition from from that point on. And uh, after it gained some really great traction at the farmers markets from obviously people who weren't my family or friends or anything like that. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think I got something here. I think I think I could do something with this. So did some financial forecasting, some planning. Um, went into like a UVic, uh, a UVic. I don't want to. I want to call it the innovation program competition right. for business students. And okay. we won the pitch it competition, which was just pitching everything. And then we, which was really great. I was like, wow, okay, cool, sweet. So it got, I was like 400 bucks or something like that. But I had, was, you already was amazing. Up, had you already teamed up with your partners at that stage or were you still on your own? Yeah. So I had teamed up with, with Eric and Adam. They were both like Adam was in full-time business school right. and Eric was a full-time mechanical engineer. So okay. it was more just like they were there as, as support and, and help. And, but the ideas really kind of came through, through all of us together. Yeah. Um, lots of like beers on our back deck and, and brainstorms and chats of like, okay, what could this be? Blah, blah, blah. Um, and then, yeah, we actually all co-signed on a loan, which I'm very grateful for them for. Um, and we got $15,000 through Futurepreneur, which yes. was yeah. a, a huge, huge help for us. Um, they're absolutely amazing. And I would recommend to any, any startup business for, I think they, they service Canadians from 18 to 30 or yep. something like that, I believe. That's right. Yeah, um, right. But they have amazing program. Like there's a year, no interest. Even through COVID, they didn't even forego our loans. They just made the payments for us for, Mm -hmm. I think it was like a six month period of time, which was like so incredible. Like, I don't know how financially they did that, but um, yeah, they, they're awesome. They're, they're really, really great. They also set you up with a mentor. Uh, Our mentor didn't pan out in, in, in the best way, but that's okay. We got a good mentorship now, so that's all good. But I've heard really good things about their mentorship program. I think, um, we just didn't necessarily align with ours. Um, but uh, yeah, where was I? Back to, oh yeah, so yeah, we ended up with that loan, essentially uh, had pivoted. I was using little compostable paper cups, found out that here in Victoria, there's no facility for them to be composted. Um, they have to have an industrial facility. So That's it was right. actually doing more harm than good. So that was a really valuable experience of like, whoa, Okay, what these companies are telling me is good does not necessarily mean is the good. infrastructure needs um, to be in place. Yeah, we find the same thing in our part of the world over here as well. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's it's diff it's difficult for sure. Um, where whereabouts are you, Hayden? Yeah, so we're located in Vancouver, and uh, and mm -hmm. I work for a company called Foodpack, which the vast majority of our um, listeners know. Um, but we specialize in flexible packaging, and there is the capacity to actually be able to recycle flexible packaging, but the infrastructure to support that system isn't in place over here. So Recycle BC is really transparent, and they've got a system in place which is more of a recovery program than recycling. And what they do is you can take a flexible package to a store drop-off location like a London Drugs or a Recycle BC drop-off location. And what they actually do is they collect the packages, uh, they shred it, pelletize it, and then turn it into engineered fuel. So it's sort of oh. like a, a, yeah, a reclaiming out of the regular waste stream, but then they're, you could call it upcycling into engineered fuel. So it's not a perfect system, that's for sure, but it's, a, um, it's what we've got to work with at the moment. And they're also doing some studies right now where they're collecting all of these flexible structures and they're analyzing the laminated um, materials to see which are the most common out there. And then I believe with that information, then they're going to feel confident to move forward in the future and put an infrastructure in place to actually be able to recycle these um, structures properly and turn them into like outdoor decking and bus stops and outdoor playgrounds and stuff like that. But unfortunately, it's just not here yet. Yeah, well, I mean, it's really, it's, it makes me feel very hopeful that they're at least thinking about that. Because it's, mm. I mean, for me in my world, I've been a little bit uh, disassociated from the industry. Yeah. And I, I'm not super up to date on these type of things. And from yeah. my point of view, yeah, it's like, there's all these things that are they're wrong with the system. And it, it's it's difficult to know mm -hmm. who's trying to fix it, or if it's trying to get fixed. But that's, that's really amazing. And I'm super happy to hear that this is a plan that's in place. And yeah. Wow, that's 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 awesome. That's yeah. so cool that they're able to yeah re just re reuse it in in different forms and like you said repalletize it and then turn it into something that's like very useful. Yeah, exactly. There's that, and then the other part of the conversation is around compostability, which you mentioned before with your paper cups, saying that you know there really isn't an end of life system in place to be able to support the the um the composition. Same thing over here in flexible packaging, like there's huge consumer demand for um, flexible packaging that is compostable and like we get inquiries every single day. But the issue is, is we can absolutely supply the consumer with these products, but there's nowhere for the consumer to actually put them. So, yeah. you know, technically speaking, they can go in an industrial facility, but they're not collecting them in industrial facilities at the moment because they don't want to potentially contaminate their compost heap with a regular structure because there's really no way of telling or a system in place um, so that they can easily identify you know, a compostable structure versus a regular structure. So there are definitely yeah. issues with the system at the moment. And I think that over time, it's all going to get ironed out. Um, but it's just frustrating for us all right now, because, you know, as you know, everybody's trying to do the right thing, whether it's the consumer trying to make informed purchasing decisions and support businesses that are doing the right thing, or businesses like yours that are, you know, structuring the um, their organization to make great decisions so that the consumer has an opportunity to put their um, money where their mouth is as well. But the infrastructure to support um, these uh, structures and materials just aren't in place at the moment. And there are, like, in a lot of cases down in the States where there's a huge population, but here in Canada, um, and it uh, this is rings true from coast to coast, it's just not here, which, yeah, it's, a, it's an issue here. And we're monitoring it closely because we're obviously tied to the industry, but uh, we're mm -hmm. not too sure what the next five to 10 year period looks like yet. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, that's a perfect segue into as well of like the, the system isn't there. So that's yeah. why I guess we, we have chosen what we've chosen in our yeah. business um, because it was a little bit of something that we could potentially control a bit. And, the, and yeah, I guess 
yeah, the, the segue would be um, we chose glass jars, mm. um, and obviously, you know, glass jars as well aren't perfect. They have yep. a, they have a harm on on the environment to create them. That's greater than plastic, but I guess the the end of life use is if you're able to implement a system that can essentially facilitate returns, which is mm. what we we have done, um, and that we're it's I mean it's not something that's finalized and complete. It's always a work in progress, and we're always trying to figure out our next step. and It makes scaling very difficult. Um, but essentially, if we're able to you know give people the option to hey, if you want to bring this back to us, we'll just sanitize it, reuse it, or you know in our case, like we have the nice silk screen designer on the outside as well, and we did that on purpose so then people would you know utilize it in their houses, whether mm. it's you know putting putting salt in or um you know having it yeah just as like a spice a spice holder or something you can put your paints in or yeah. whatever else just like yeah. something to you know to promote that reusability of it rather than just the the one-time use and then yeet it out the door uh with with no real plan in place from from whether it's the government or whoever is responsible for you know mm. the developing those systems um which it, it has been really difficult especially like uh, starting throughout covid no grocery stores wanted to do our jar return system uh, which was really frustrating because they were all continuing to do the avalon milk jar return system and that's essentially what we had based off of yeah um but We've had really awesome conversations recently, actually, with the distributor that distributes all of Avalon Milk's products. Mm -hmm. um, and with a bit of shelf life increase, which I'll kind of get to later on, um, we're we're actually in in really good chats with them to take them on as a distributor. Because as of right now, we've been we have a little refrigerator van ourselves, and we've been doing all of our deliveries up island, down island everywhere that we're currently sold, and we facilitate the jar return program ourselves. But we are very I don't know. We've come to a point to realize where we can't do everything, um, and distribution is really, really hard. Uh, there are, you know, full-on businesses that do this as their that's their main source of business. And I think, as as a business owner, really come to terms lately of just like we can't do everything. We should focus on things that we're really good at. Yeah. So finding a, a distributor, a distributor, sorry, uh, that aligns with our values and allows us to implement this jar return program in grocery stores is going to be something that's like super, super important for us moving forward. And mm. and we don't have the the, the tick off quite yet but we're we're working towards it and we're we're trying to hit, hit that door down it's uh it's super exciting because previously we thought uh no one else is doing this um you know we're we're just going to be shit out of luck so yeah, yeah i don't know it's, but it's it's cool and i don't know i really love the fact that we are able to put in this program um and and have seen the success and traction that we have gotten so far um i think we can definitely do better and get more people to turn their jars and kind of been in the process of figuring out ways to incentivize people more, not from a monetary value, but more into our, our donation aspect as well. Mm -hmm. um, just to kind of do it out of the good of the, out of your heart to you know, help the planet and help the people. Um, but yeah, no, super, super, super exciting stuff. And it's good to, yeah, good to know that there's, there's other progress made on other fronts as well. And a bit of a, a bit of a plan in place, even though it may not be perfect, but at least uh, progress is getting made. Yeah, I agree. Mate, um, you mentioned before that, um, you know, back when you had the seat of the idea and you sat down with your mates who are now your business partners and you guys had a couple of beers on your back porch and was sort of, you know, strategizing sort of what this potential business opportunity could be. You probably had a butcher's paper just full of ideas and, you know, potential sort of systems that you could implement to fulfill sort of the criteria that you wanted to build into the business. Now, I can just hear the amount of passion that you've got for sustainability and community in your voice. Like, it's just evident that it's there. Has that always been there for you? Or is that something that's sort of, you know, has been established over time? Yeah, I think it's always been there for me. I mean, 
growing up on Salt Spring and my dad has always been very much of a, if you have some like building materials, always find a spot that you can reuse them. There's no point in throwing them away and then going purchasing other things. I think that was really, really uh, foundational for myself. And in terms of community, just like bringing it back to Salt Spring again, just the the community support and the the help that different families showed each other and and different Mm -hmm. people when they were struggling. It was just really, really amazing. And I think that, um, yeah, throughout my life, and, and especially with my partners, Eric and Adam, and now Tyler as well, who's a huge part of the business, we all share these values of really wanting to do, you know, take our our privilege of, you know, being where we are in the world with, you know, a healthy family and whatever else, and try and really transform that into some something positive that can, you know, help people in, in a tough situation, as well mm-hmm. as, you know, provide a bit of an example of how business can be done differently. We like to call it capitalism with a heart. Um, and yeah, I don't know, just not that it's capitalistic, but it, it is in a way because we're trying to make a profit. But yeah, you're, if in the, we're not... you're in it for money. Yeah, exactly. You want to make yeah. a living out of this business, which is totally, yeah. you know, commendable and something that, you know, it's going to take a lot of hard work and dedication. And you guys are definitely well on the way to doing it. But all of these initiatives, as you suggested, they come at a cost. And, you know, a lot of businesses, when they do that cost benefit analysis, they tend to overlook the benefit um, when they're, you know, reviewing the cost. So, you know, back when you were determining what it was that you wanted to build in, what, what was sort of the, the key areas and how did you eventually cost it out to see whether you it could even support it with this business? Yeah, I mean, essentially, I guess the, the basis of it was around the fact that, look, there's lots of other dip businesses out there. There's lots of other hummus. Um, how can we differentiate ourselves? How can we, you know, provide this this impact and and yeah, get people to purchase us over, you know, the the Sabras or the the whoever else of the world. Um, and those that was uh, yeah, that was kind of one of our, our main ideas was just to differentiate ourselves with with positive values. I remember even in the very first message um, that I wrote on the Instagram page, it was I think back then I had actually wrote in um, that 10% of all profits will be donated to different charities and stuff like that. And so the way that you have laid it out in terms of we had all these ideas and all these things, it definitely wasn't that organized. It was very much a free flowing um, progression, I suppose. So it was never at, at the start, we had these ideas of this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. This is how we're going to cost it in. We yeah. kind of just, I mean, myself not having a business background, Adam was in business school at the time and my dad is an entrepreneur himself. So we had some outside influences and some some information, but it was really just kind of winging it and, and figuring out as we go. Um, but yeah, I think that having having a product and people sometimes say that okay your product is is too expensive for myself and I couldn't I couldn't purchase it etc I mean we're really probably about 10% more expensive than than the next brand mm-hmm. um however you know th- those are costs that just have to be included for you know the cost of going and collecting the jars and then taking the time to you know sanitize wash you know uh, separate the, the lids and the different jars to to have different piles mm-hmm. and all this because it all takes labor it all takes time one mistake not mistake i suppose but when it was myself doing it all at the very beginning i didn't really factor in labor i didn't factor in all these things i thought oh, it's just me doing it yeah. um with the experience and knowledge that I have now, especially going through these accelerator programs and having exposure to connections and people, definitely having a bit more, I suppose, focus on the actual, the cost of everything. Um, 
is definitely really important. But I think you know having more of a, a premium product um, and more of these these really strong values behind it uh, just makes makes it all makes it all worth it. And then the, if you're able to communicate that through branding and marketing, etc., mm -hmm. then the people who really value that as well will see that and kind of resonate with your brand and support you through it. Mm -hmm. um, so really, that's been that's been our kind of strategy is just being able to to communicate the positive things that we're doing. Um, and then, yeah, kind of not necessarily retroactively changing our pricing. We had to change our pricing a little bit. Um, we actually even, for example, we started off with charging a dollar deposit on our jars. Um, and then when people would bring them back, they would get the dollar back. Um, however, we we found that that was, you know, discouraging people from purchasing it uh, the first time on the shelves because there was an extra dollar associated with it. So we kind of shifted things around um, and then we essentially kept our prices the same, but then incentivized people by, um, you know, donating a serving of hummus for every time they return a jar as well as when they purchase a jar. Um, so there's, yeah, lots of little things and it's always been quite fluid and, and kind of, um, yeah, I don't know, just very, we've been, we've been kind of going, going with it and seeing what the consumers think. And this is really our first time ever, you know, running a business. I'm only 24 years old and I started when I was 22. So, just a whole lot, of, whole lot of learning along the way, for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt. Mate, when you're running these tests to sort of see what works and what's not working and see if you can sort of iterate and make improvements on the programs, what kind of duration of time are you sort of letting a program run and sort of what volume of product are you trying to put out during that period to sort of have a sample size big enough to sort of give you some data that's actually relevant to make decisions with? Yeah, definitely. So I think our first, our first, uh, deposit piece ran for about a year, the year long time. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we just gained, uh, you know, we, we sent out surveys, we questioned people just at farmers markets, et cetera, any really points of contact that we could get, you know, significant customer data. Yeah. Um, and then we kind of have been in our current phase of that was like the dollar deposit. Yes. Um, and now we have our phase of no deposit, but then, you know, we have the, the servings donated for jar return and jar purchase. And we've been doing that for, I want to say, probably the last eight months or so right um but the next phase and this is kind of i guess the first time that i've discussed it outside of our own kind of executive team is what i'm really looking to do is change it so essentially there's just when when you return a jar we donate a jar's worth of hummus um to our charity partners uh we don't actually physically donate the glass jar itself because that is quite expensive yeah um, however we have um you know refillable buckets and we have really great relationships with a bunch of different uh local charities around town actually all across vancouver island that we deliver to um and we fill them up with like 15 kilogram buckets and then they yeah. serve out stuff to, to people as as they please and then we just keep recycling those those big buckets um but i think just from like a, a marketing standpoint as well as a just a, a really like feel for the customer of like I'm making an impact like I if I return this glass jar not only is that glass jar going to be continued in recirculation rather than you know going into the recycling system getting broken down being refused or re remade into another piece of glass or whatever else it's just going right back to the manufacturer yeah. we're sanitizing it reusing it as well as you know when I return this jar that same amount of hummus that I just ate is now going to you know a family in need or a person in need or whatever else and i think that's just like a really tangible way to um connect to a brand as also as well as just like feeling really good about a decision that you've made in terms of you know taking the time to not only purchase the item but to enjoy it and then actually to bring it back to the store um and and continue that that life of 
I guess, yeah, the circular economy, I suppose, and just the give back as well. No, it's very cool, mate. I think you're absolutely right. Like consumers love being a part of a program and knowing that what they're actually putting their money towards is making an impact, you know, um, more so than just supporting the business itself. So yeah, hats off to you guys for actually going to the trouble of, you know, putting in the time and energy to create the program because to be able to actually see like a tangible, you know, benefit of it helping people on the other side of it must feel really good. Yeah, it's amazing. Honestly, being able to go and drop off to uh, to these these shelters and these these places and you know we we roll up and people are like oh it's the hummus guys and <laughs> i know that even the volunteers are all like oh you guys like this is so amazing like the yeah. the guests love it and yeah. it's, it feels really good because you know hummus and it's it's funny it's just it's a plant-based protein it's super super good for you yep. it's super tasty and people just love it on everything so it's yeah, it's really, really cool to see that impact. And as well as what you said for, you know, the, um, in, in, the intro, in the intro, in our first year, we had 7,000 jars returned. Um, we're just in our second year now. We haven't fin finalized our, our total. Um, and I don't actually know the specific number, but I know yeah. it's it's continuing to rise and rise every week, which is great because, yeah, the past month or so, I've been in the kitchen and I've been washing all the returns <laughs> and doing it all myself. Yeah. And it's like, it's just so cool to see people buying into it. And I really love the fact that, yeah, that we've we've essentially implemented it right at the start. So it's yep. just the core foundation. It's like, it, not only are we trying to make money, it's just the triple bottom line of people, profit, planet. Um, yeah. And you know, it's that that is what we base all of our decisions off of. Mm -hmm. We have these these guiding posts of or these lighthouses, I suppose, is what Tyler always references them to as. And it's just that helps us make our decisions, and it makes it easy because if it doesn't align with all three of those things, then we're not going to do it. You know, yeah. and uh, yeah, it's 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 pretty cool. No, that's awesome to have a, um, a system that you can filter decisions through. Is that um, becoming typical of, you know, the vast majority of decisions or is it sort of just the big decisions that you're looking to make? Um, I definitely say the big decisions for sure. We're actually yeah. at qu quite a crossroad right now with our production and distribution and everything mm. else. Or mm -hmm. like I had mentioned previously, like we'd, we were going to do it all ourselves and all this stuff, but we're realizing that our capacity is, is quite maxed out, even with four of us as owners. Yeah. Um, so yeah, some definitely some big decisions. It has been a huge, a huge lighthouse in terms of what we want for you know these these type of partners that we're bringing into our business um, to really help out. Um, but even yeah, even in the day to day small stuff, whether it's you know our marketing strategies, our um, yeah, just our our market tent setup or whatever else, it, it mm -hmm. it's definitely an all encompassing thing that just kind of flows through the veins of the business. Yeah. So there are the four of you who are business partners. Where did you all meet? Yeah. So amazing story. Uh, well, yeah, multiple stories, I suppose. So me and Adam and Eric, we were the original uh, founders of the business. Um, all of our previous girlfriends um, all lived together. Um, and then we all met through through that group. Um, over time, we had split ways from 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 the lovely girls. We all thank them for their time, um, but we really became brothers out of that. And cool. uh, yeah, we were just yeah we just really really clicked and have really helped each other grow and um, just become our, our best selves for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and then Tyler, he is actually an Australian fellow. He moved to Canada following a girl uh, on the very last day the borders were open from COVID. Right. Um, yeah, that was a little bit hectic. He just barely made it in. Um, that relationship only lasted a few, maybe a couple months. Um, after you know, however long of that they were they were dating for. Um, so he was in a bit of a hurt place um, when he had met us, 
he came to a farmer's market and he met Eric working the market and Eric just told him the story and he was like, wow, that's incredible. He loved it. He loved the product. He reached out to us on Instagram, shot his shot in, a, in the DM and was just like, hey, you know, I've got my, my MBA. He's like, I used to be an executive at a grocery store chain in Australia. It's like, I think I could, I could probably help you guys a lot yep. and just like, yeah, work, work with you. And so he was essentially working with us on a, he had another job and he was just working with us part-time for free. Just wanted to do it out of not necessarily the goodness of his heart. I think there was a lot of goodness of his heart in it, but I also think he saw the potential of it. And he yeah. saw that if he worked and he showed his merit and his effort, then he would be rewarded in the long run. And uh, he was, he's now, you know, uh, an owner of the company as well. Um, so he's right in there with Eric, Adam and I, mm. and uh, yeah, that was after about, I want to say six or seven months. And yeah, we met him, I want to say just just over a year ago. So he's just been like such a, a huge catalyst for us, um, and just an outside an outside thinker on on the inside of Eric and Adam and myself, um, and really just provided a lot of other experiences and, and background with his his previous roles and his education and everything else. So mm. yeah, it's been it's been a really great story. We're definitely lucky. We have a very open and honest relationship between all of us. Like Eric, Adam, and me, we actually all live together. Um, so we're roommates, best friends, business partners. Um, and then Tyler doesn't live with us, but he's right in there as well. Um, and he, he's here quite often. <laughs> so there's, you know, not necessarily boundary issues, but we definitely have, you know, set some really solid boundaries. Every week we have, you know, our, our team meeting and we started off with about half an hour of just checking in how, how, we, how we're doing personally. We have a really open, honest and vulnerable um, relationship with everybody and, and there's never anything that's kind of left uncommunicated. We've really, really worked on that. So I think that's probably been our, our strongest essence as as a group is just our ability to communicate and and work with each other and and keep things even if things get heated because they often do tyler and i will butt heads sometimes but you know adam's a really great mediator and eric's just there chilling kind of being like hey guys let's bring this back and then we always find a conclusion that's uh that's really quite positive and, and no one really needs to compromise we just you know need to see each other's points of views yep. and yeah continue on chatting i guess yeah it's great to hear <laughs> like that was one of the biggest questions that i had for you because you know whether it's a personal relationship or whether it's you know a sports team or a band or you know a business relationship like you're in like relationships can go sour at times which is really sad but it's kind of the reality that we're all faced with and um you know obviously you have all made the decision to go into business together and to hear that you're also housemates and best mates as well which is really cool but one of my biggest questions that i had was revolving around the fact that you're all obviously emotionally invested in this business and maybe you've all got different visions for it as well. So I was really interested to hear how it was that you worked together, what skills that you all brought to the party that were sort of unique and, uh, and sort of the skills that you leverage yourself. Yeah, you betcha. Well, we, in terms of the, the vision aspect, it's actually been crazy because we share so many of the same core values. Um, the vision has always been quite similar in terms of what we want from our own individual lives and how we can utilize this business to get there yeah. um, and really being, you know, in charge of our own, our own time and financial freedom, that type of stuff. Um, but yeah, I guess the individual, like the individual skill set and assets that we bring, bring to the table. I mean, Adam, he's, um, you know, he's, he's a really, really great online marketer and, and marketing, branding, digital advertising, that is his wheelhouse. So he really handles all of that side of things for us, which is really amazing. Um, Eric, like I said, he's a mechanical engineer. He just graduated in April. Um, he put together 
he he's just has a really great systematic brain. He's like really, you know, in charge of operations and logistics Processes. and yeah. I guess like, yeah, all, all, all of that type of stuff, which is super, super important. Um, we're actually currently looking into co-packers, but previously um, he had designed up, there was a half a million dollar food manufacturing grant that we just found out the other day that we yes. didn't get, unfortunately, um, but it was a half a million dollars and he designed up this entire massive line of like food processing stuff uh, for the Vancouver Island Food Hub. Um, unfortunately, we didn't get it, but it was really impressive. You know, literally he graduated and for the next month and a half just because of the deadline of the grant that's what he was working on and he knocked it out of the park he got it you know approved by an, an, an a certified engineer and they were like good job this is crazy um so that's really cool he brings that side of things to the business um tyler is definitely an all-rounder he was the youngest accountant in all of kpmg australia's history um so i think he started when he was 16 years old or something like 16 or 17 um so he's just <laughs> absolutely he's just like he reads and breathes numbers um yeah. but also is just like such a people person as well he's a very dynamic skill set he's been in like hiring uh, recruitment roles he's been in sales managerial roles um executive roles for that grocery store and then obviously his background of education has been a super huge help as well yeah. um and then myself i mean i don't know i'm i feel like i've always just been a natural leader i feel like um i bring a lot of creativity in forms of you know creating new products new SKUs, that type of stuff mm. um and just kind of organizing people around a vision and a goal um it's something that i've definitely struggled with at times um but i think just like being really um I don't know, more conscious of, of showing yourself love and, you know, being appreciative of, not appreciative, but patient with yourself, I suppose, and, and giving yep. yourself that space is super, super important because there's a lot of pressure. Uh, you know, I have not only myself, but I've dragged in three of my best friends to this and where it's all of our financial dependence is on this right now. Mm. And, you know, other people that we have employed and hired and I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just confidently winging it, but we're figuring <laughs> it out. Um, and I think just our, our willingness and ability to, to learn not only from ourselves, but, you know, reading books, listening yep. to podcasts, just really trying to better ourselves. I think that's probably really what holds us all together as well as the communication aspect. And yep. yeah, I don't know. We have definitely, I feel very lucky because like we have such a great diverse team and it's very much like, yeah, we all have different skill sets, similar values, similar vision. So it's kind of like the perfect scenario, but you're right. Relationships can sour. There's been ups and downs in, in all of the relationships that we've had together. Um, but, you know, through that communication aspect, we've always worked it out, even though there's been some some, some rougher times. But I think that's just life. And that's you got to kind of... It sounds very normal to yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. The other thing that I, um, I really wanted to talk to you about was the Small Business BC Awards in which you were the finalist in two categories, which was a huge achievement for you, I don't imagine, considering how young the business is. Um, so you were um, you made it into the final of the Best Youth Entrepreneur category and also the Premier's People's Choice Awards as well. So congratulations on that. Did that sort of um, give you some exposure that you were otherwise um, not expecting, I can imagine, but also have you noticed that it sort of um, – it changed the trajectory of your business um, in, a, in a, what am I trying to say? Did it, um, did it speed things up for you or is it sort of, you know, have things remained status quo in terms of like the level of growth that you've had? Yeah, well, thank you. First of all, that's, that's really kind of you to say and bring up. Um, yeah, it was super, super exciting and, and definitely not really anticipated. I think there was like, not multiple thousand, but it was in the thousands of businesses that were nominated for all of these event, these uh, awards. Yeah. And just the fact that we even came top five in two of them was incredible. Um, I think it's really a testament to 
how well we've connected with our social media presence and, and our following and just people really resonating with what we're doing as a business. Um, in terms of, I suppose, the benefits it's had for us, it's kind of hard. I wouldn't necessarily say it was the catalyst that has helped us see this growth, but I would say it's definitely a factor and an aspect and having, you know, this 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 amazing you know business of of, of uh, small business BC and all the exposure and the I don't know just like lots of people have reached out and said hey like I saw you guys you know we've had a couple things on Czech News and and this SBBC so I think all of these I guess PR opportunities they all add up for sure yeah. and they're definitely like they're definitely quite yeah, it, it's just little like accolades and little feathers in the cap, right? Um, that you can kind of reference back to and then more people recognize you and then more people can kind of trust your brand. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't say that it was necessarily like, didn't didn't skyrocket us. Um, we've still been pushing down the um, the dominoes one by one for sure. But uh, yeah, no, it's it, it was definitely, it played a, played a very cool, cool role for, you know, a month and a half there and, and people were really excited about it and we got lots of great connections from it and I think that just that recognition of other businesses and mm -hmm. kind of this organization definitely does help give us credibility, especially like you said, because we, at that point, I mean, we're still a very young business, but at that point we were, you know, even even younger of a business, so it was just like, well, it was it was really cool to to be recognized, I suppose, for for our early achievements. Fantastic, mate. Um, before we got on the call um, today, you mentioned that you've just bought on two large accounts, so congratulations for that. Now, I noticed just by looking on your website, you said that you know you've got just over seventy accounts right now, all on the island, which is very very local for you. And I can imagine as you're planning to expand onto the mainland, you're going to have to sort of review the business model as it stands, like you were suggesting before, your distribution model, your sales model, and so on. The one thing that I'd love to ask you is what's your existing um, strategy and um, approach to sales? So whether you're selling into an account. Um, and I also noticed that you don't have a web store, which I thought was kind of interesting. Tell us, you know, about the decision not to have a web store as well. Yeah, you betcha. No, those are two really good points. Um, yeah, going over, like the mainland is our next expansion point for sure. Mm. Um, Tyler, he's actually, uh, you know, he does all of the sales as well. And he was over in Vancouver. He handed out about 50 sample packs to different grocery stores. That was two yeah. weekends ago. He got an insane response. People were like, I want to purchase this product right now. Get me it. And he's like, whoa, we don't have distribution set up. We're still figuring out. This was just like to touch feelers and everything like that. So in terms of the sales aspect, yeah, it's all it's all Tyler. He, he goes out and he essentially just tells people who we are, why we do what we do. And then finally, the product that we make. And by that time, people are like, whoa, sweet. I'm in. Like, let's, let's, let's let's go with it let's try yeah. it it's unique it's different we have yeah. all this yeah this type of um systems around it um and yeah it i guess for us <laughs> it's a bit of a it's it's a funny story um not yeah in in the the winter time this previous christmas we were had geared up for all of these christmas markets um covid unfortunately had shut them all down very last minute yeah. so you know i'd spent you know 40 hours producing all these, this hummus, this perishable product, et cetera. We put out an Instagram post um, that was, I think maybe our most engaged. And it was just my van with a bunch of jars out in front of it being like, hey, um, this is the situation. Us and other businesses are in this blah, blah, blah. This, this you know, bad situation of yeah. perishable product, nowhere to sell it, um, last minute cancellations. And we said, if anyone wants to place an order for a six pack, let us know. Um, we'd love to, you know, drop it off to your house, et cetera. Um, and 
Czech News came, did a piece on us. Our website crashed. We had like 10,000 visitors. We had, we sold, I want to say something like 3,000 jars or something like that over the course of like three days. And it was mayhem. It was absolute mayhem. We had yeah. to extend it out over a couple of weeks and get people their product late. And it was just like, it was, it was hectic. That was only within the Victoria area as well. Um, so after that, it was a little bit of like a, that was right when we were kind of getting into grocery stores and we we're like, okay, we're really going to utilize this momentum and just kind of funnel these customers into grocery stores um, and deactivate our online account. Just because at that point in time, it was way too much to be in there um, you know, sorting individual orders, checking out, okay, where is it going? Then actually delivering the product ourselves and yeah. doing all this stuff. It was just like, it was, it was a nightmare. We also didn't have, not that it was a nightmare. It was a really great situation to be in because um, it was successful, um, but it was just a lot of work. Uh, and so end. we were like, yeah, I can imagine yeah, a lot of yeah. back end, and we just didn't have the staffing or anything at that point. It was just Tyler and myself. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was, it was hectic. It was, it was great. But then also, I guess a second point to that, um, so that was one of the reasons why we kind of stopped our online store after that. We're like, okay, funnel more people to our grocery stores because we believe this is where we're really going to scale as a business. Yes. Even though there's less margins, it's just more of a constant, um, constant flow of things. Yeah. And yeah, no, I think for the online essence of it, like why we don't ship, say, to Vancouver or Alberta or wherever else is because our, pr our product is perishable, needs mm -hmm. to be refrigerated. Yeah. Um, and we also have glass, so it's heavy. It's breakable and you know we'd need to put ice packs in there have like a foam box which yes. isn't overly conducive to our sustainable message yes um so yeah that's essentially kind of the main reasons why um just logistically as well as i guess yeah product wise just not a huge fit but we have been looking into um, potentially having some sort of uh, dehydrated hummus and offering that um and maybe bring marketing that to more like the the backpacking type yeah type that's crew, cool um, yeah or outdoor adventure type stuff where people can bring it with them to go or yeah. just having it as an e-commerce product because e-commerce is the way of the future it absolutely is and um <laughs> a perishable item is hard is hard to deal with like mm -hmm. especially right now our shelf life is about four weeks yeah um so we put every single week and it's yeah it's it's tough for sure but that's what i was gonna business. ask yeah sorry i cut you off no, no, you go, you go. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. So you've got a four-week shelf life. So you would have done some analysis and some testing with some labs at that point. Your ingredients list is extremely clean. And I was just wondering how you're achieving that four-week shelf life. Like you, you know, potentially, um, you know, just adjusting the pH levels of the product to give you the extended shelf life. And are you considering other options in the future like the HPP process? Yeah, definitely. So HPP is super, super interesting. Yeah. Unfortunately for us, it doesn't work for the glass jars. We could potentially look at having it done pre-packaging oh. and then having it in, yeah. a, in a vat and then it would flow into there. Yeah. Um, but as of right now, yeah, we have no artificial preservatives. We're really, really proud of that. Yeah. Um, I also think that preservatives have a really, really important place in the food world, even though some like we're just trying to have not necessarily the chemical ones, yes. um, but we have found um, we vacuum seal our jars, so that increased our shelf life by 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 two weeks. So mm -hmm. it was a two week shelf life. We purchased a vacuum sealer, and now we have a four week shelf life, which is great. Yeah. We also instruct people to open their or to eat their jars within a week of opening, um, and yeah, just playing around with the pH, getting that to where we want it to be. Um, if we're looking at a co-packer, they will 
most likely would like to um, hot fill it, which would increase our shelf life by a bunch because then essentially that would kill off all the bacteria that would be yeah. in there. That in combination with the pH, I would imagine we'd probably have between a two to three month shelf life. And to be honest, I don't think I really want or need more than that. Um, as long as it's okay, you know, with a distributor, because um, there's a huge like supply chain logistical type yeah. situation, right? So like it, it's, it gets produced, you know, it sits in your warehouse for maybe a day or two, and then it goes to the, the, the distributor. That's a day of, you know, Transport. Uh, logistics getting from yep. yeah, transport and then it sits in their warehouse for you know depending on when they get orders in anywhere between you know a day to maybe two weeks maybe a month or just depends on the volume yep. that you that you're moving and then from there then it gets to the grocery store you know it's a day of transport it's a day of sitting in their back you know fridge and then it gets out to the shelf so from that mm -hmm. point Typically, what we've heard from grocery stores is they want to have about a month month on it since they hitch their shelves, which right now we're able to do because we have our own distribution and we do it all ourselves. We just deliver the day after we produce and then yeah. it goes right on their shelves. Um, however, once you kind of complicate things a little bit more, um, yeah, you definitely need a little bit of extra time. So it's been a struggle. Um, but it hasn't been too bad of a struggle. It's just this next step here, this next hurdle, mm. there's going to be needed to be, yeah, improvement made in that space for sure. Yeah. And I mean, that's all just part of the learning that you're right. Like as soon as you add other layers into the distribution process, like everybody wants their little cut of the pie, you know, whether it's margin that they're taking or whether it's, you know, shelf life that they're taking away from the consumer. So it's an interesting balance. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Everybody, like you said, everybody wants a slice of the pie. <laughs> yeah, and that's awesome. So listen, we've covered so much ground here um, and we're coming up on an hour as well. Um, I do have another question for you. So, you know, obviously embarking on this program, I can imagine you have learned a lot over the last two years and it sounds as if you've found it extremely rewarding. Um, if you had any other entrepreneurs out there that, you know, were coming to you, asking you questions on like, where do I start? What is the first thing that you recommend that I do to even get my idea and turn it into reality? What advice would you offer them? Yeah, I think that's, I would say definitely testing the market, um, seeing if there's demand for your product, if, if there's other people doing you know exactly the same as you how are you going to differentiate yourself from them like you really do need i think in this day and age having a really positive and strong mission and values is very very important especially to separating yourself from every other business out there um and then once you've kind of you know developed a bit of a mission and a, and a vision um and 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 just like those core values and you've you've proved your your concept make sure that you have enough margins that you'll actually be able to have a successful business yeah. um one thing i never factored in at the beginning was distribution or production or this whatever else because i was a young entrepreneur i was doing it all myself and i figured yeah i can i can make this work i can sell it for whatever that you know just just understanding the mechanics of the systems behind how the grocery world works or whatever industry world that you're going to be going into and just making sure that you're going to have enough at the end of the day to not only pay yourself, but pay, pay your employees and, you know, have enough, I guess, profit to reinvest into the business and, and to grow it and scale it. Because at the end of the day, if you don't have profit, you can't do any good with your business because yeah. you just won't have a business. Yeah. You're not going to um, make an impact. Just kind of, yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, just making sure that, what you're what you're producing or what you're making is is wanted out there 
having something that differentiates yourself and making sure that you have the healthy a healthy bit of margin for yourself going through and and honestly asking questions connecting going into different programs um there's another program called good to grow products over in vancouver yeah i'm familiar um, with andrea yeah I she's went, great yeah yeah, she, she is. Um, we I went through that one at the same time as this. I was actually at, at one point in three different cohorts at once, and it was way too much. Um, but <laughs> learned a lot from all of them. So yeah. yeah, educate yourself. Like you don't need a university degree. You don't need a, a college degree to to be a successful business owner. But you do need to be able to work hard and just want to want to learn and and be passionate about what you're doing. So yeah, I guess that would be. My four-pronged advice. <laughs> That's great advice. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, good to grow. I had Andrea Gray Grant on the show, and I also mm. had uh, Mina Higigi from Futurepreneur on the show as well. And, you know, the advice that they had was just awesome. So I recommend that anybody that's listening that hasn't heard those episodes go back and have a listen because there's just a wealth of advice that both of those women provided us with. And, uh, and yeah, to obviously be involved in both of those organizations and programs must have been um, amazing to leverage within, you know, the early stages of your business as well. So hats off to you for you know taking the time to invest you know all of your energy into that and obviously you're seeing the rewards now so it's awesome to see awesome yeah well it's uh yeah it's it's been it's been a cool journey and uh hard journey for sure but we're not there yet but uh no definitely definitely love and appreciation for every day and you know i'm doing what i love and i get to work with people that i love and yeah, have amazing conversations like these. So yeah. thank you, Hayden. I appreciate you having me on. And yeah, it's been an absolute treat. And, and Sarah wasn't wrong. She had, <laughs> she had a great time. I had a great time. <laughs> Good, mate. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, Justin, that was awesome, mate. Um, obviously, I'm going to put your contact details and uh, website and so on into the show notes for everybody. But just for everybody out there to listen, uh, that is listening, uh, what's the best way to get in touch if they wanted to have a chat with you? Yeah, um, through our socials is great. Uh, we have it's uh, at justos.ca or um, my email is justin at justos.ca. So the email is probably a bit more of a direct line, um, but the Instagram may be easier to go through. But yeah, either of those two is really great. And I'm happy to yeah answer any questions or anything else. We also have like a contact me page on our website and that just goes directly to my inbox. So yeah, happy to connect with anyone if anyone has questions and yeah, obviously, like, I just, I love being able to give back experience and uh, the tiny bit of wisdom that I've acquired in these last couple of years. So yeah, my, my line is open. That's awesome, mate. Well, thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Uh, I recommend everybody head to the website. Um, it's beautifully developed. The photography's great. It's a really good example of a really clean and clear website for a business just like yours in the CBG world. So definitely uh, utilize that for some inspiration as well. And uh, yeah, Justin, thank you very much for your time. I truly appreciate it. Cheers, Hayden. You're welcome. Bye. Thanks for listening today. If you have any questions from today's episode or would like to know more about what I can do to help you achieve your packaging vision, you can reach me directly at Hayden at thepackheavypodcast.com. You could DM me on Instagram at thepackheavypodcast, or we could also connect on LinkedIn and start a conversation there. I'll see you next week.